Good morning, and welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. I'm Guilherme Almeida. I'm on staff here, and I'm so glad you joined us for worship. You will need a couple of items for uh, this experience. You're going to need your worship folder. It is uh, white with a colored print at the top. You know that's a new thing there for us with our outside-the-box serious logo at the very top. And then you're going to need a hymnal to uh, participate. If you're a guest with us, we would love to learn more from you and about you through the visitor's card. You can find them at the pew back in front of you. If you are from this community, we would love to also learn from your needs and prayer requests. There's a place there for you to share that with us. Uh, when, once you're done, go ahead and drop it at the offering plate when it comes by. This week, we start a new worship series called Outside the Box. And I work with theater, and we have four to six major stereotypes in theater and in literature. My students often work and use that language, oh, I don't want to be put inside the box when I get cast, when I, when I audition, when I work, when I seek professional opportunities. I don't want to be put outside, inside the box. So outside the box is a language that we found to think of how we tend to standardize or stereotype us and God. The way we think about ourselves for our comfort tends to stay within a box, and we tend to look at others too in that way. During our worship series, we will be looking for ways to be surprised and excited about how we discover God, how we discover our mission and our community, thinking outside the box. Let's worship together. consumed, O oh God, with very grown-up things, with making things happen, with hustling, with planting and watering. 
Help us not to be brought too high or too low by those things we think that we can do or those things we think we cannot do, but to know that you are the God who makes things happen. You are the God who makes things grow. But beyond that, you are the God who longs to meet with us. You are the God who longs to take us in your laps like children. So help us not to be so very grown up all the time, but to look for the ways in which you are longing to meet with us. We thank you that you are always coming to us. Give us eyes to see your meeting and not just your making happen. In Christ's name that we pray, amen. My wrestling in my doubts, in my failures, you won't walk out. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. In the silence, you won't let go. In the questions, your truth will hold. Your great love will lead me through. You are the peace in my troubled sea. Oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea. I will follow you all my lighthouse, my lighthouse. I will trust the promise. You will carry me safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore, safe to shore. church in April, Mary Alice mentioned my passion for victims of domestic violence. As I'm sure it happens for many of us, when God gives us a passion for something, it often stems from personal experience. My passion for victims of family violence comes from my own private pain of more than two decades of life overshadowed by domestic abuse. My life was bleak, it was dark, and by the time I neared the end of those abusive years, my life was virtually without hope. People speak of the light at the end of the tunnel, but in my tunnel, there was no light, not even the faintest flicker of the tiniest light. Nobody knew what I lived with, not my parents and not the couple of friends that I was allowed to have. I knew that if I dared tell anyone that the abuse would get worse. The children and I were required to maintain the appearance of a happy family 
despite the trauma we experienced within the walls that had become our prison. In the last couple of months, the abuse escalated rapidly and my days almost always ended with threats of death and screams of, I hate you, go to hell. I didn't have to go anywhere to go to hell. I was already living there. You might be wondering why I didn't leave or seek help sooner, but when you have no money, when you've been made to drop out of school and not allowed to work, when you are isolated in a tiny country town, and when he tells you that if you leave him, he will never see your kids again, when nobody knows of your situation, it's just not that easy. Finances, living accommodations, and fears for the well-being of children are among the top reasons that women fear leaving their abusive situations. Those fears are incredibly real. My deliverance arrived in the spring of 2014. After a call to 911, I was told by law enforcement that if I feared what he would do to me when he returned home from work, that I needed to clear out while he was gone. I took that advice and never looked back. I want you to know, however, that leaving the abuser does not end the abuse. Abusers can and do find other ways to continue to display coercive control over their victims. They refuse to pay child support, they begin fear campaign, smear campaigns, they start stalking you, and they put up a fight in the family court system. If you know a victim of family violence, please do not assume she is safe just because she left him. It is likely there is continued trauma. For many years, I was trapped in a deep, dark box. During some of those bleak years, I even wondered if God had forgotten about me. But God is bigger than the boxes we put him in, and our lives are bigger than the boxes we are forced into. For those here who may be victims of abuse, I want you to know that you are loved, you are wanted, you are believed. For everyone else in this room, I need you to know that we must always take sides. Silence and so-called neutrality only serve the oppressor and never help the victim. I am now attending Truett, where I will be completing the dual Master of Divinity and Master of Social Work degrees. I am standing here today by the grace of God and the help of my incredible support system. But not every victim is as fortunate, and of those who escape, not all recover well. I want to dedicate my life to serving this vulnerable population because I believe the burdens we bear can become beacons of hope for others who experience the same trials. In a mysterious way, great wonders to perform. God plants my footsteps in the sea and rides upon a storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never failing skill, God floods the earth with bright design, tides with a sovereign will. Fearful saints, fresh courage, take the clouds you so much dread. My league with mercy has shall break in the blessings on your head. Judge not God's way through human sense, but trust unfailing grace. Behind the frowning providence there shines a smiling face. Purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Our unbelief is sure to wear and stand God's work in vain. God is God's own interpreter, whose truth shall be made plain.
You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark by which to carry the ark. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. You shall put the ark of the covenant that I shall give you. Then you shall take a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its width. You shall make two cherubim of gold. You shall make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at one end and one cherub at the other. Of one piece with the mercy seat, you shall make the cherubim at its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. They shall face one to another. The faces of the cherub shall be turned toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the covenant that I shall give to you. There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the covenant. I will deliver to you all of my commands for the Israelites. A reading from the first epistle to the Corinthians. For we are God's servants, working together. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. Each builder must choose with care how to build on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, the work of each builder will become visible, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. will is done mustard seeds grow more than we can conceive roots thread the soil branches reach for the sun this is how God moves us each to Through the night 
is filled with boxes from when I moved into my house back in December. (laughs) My dad visited me this weekend and they were the first things he noticed at my house and he asked me what in the world they are still doing in my garage. A few of them have made their way into our sanctuary today, (laughs) but there are plenty more left over. There are small boxes, large boxes, and lots of awkward sized and shaped boxes that I don't know what to do with anymore. (laughs) At one point, these boxes served a very useful purpose. They helped me move all of my belongings from one place to another. And they kept me relatively organized in the process too. I had boxes labeled for just about everything from books to kitchen supplies, bedding and Christmas decorations, Almost everything I owned had a specific box to go in. From a young age, you and I are taught to put things in their proper boxes. The blocks go in one box, the crayons go in another, the toy cars go in another. If you visit Calvary's resource room, you will see that Gail Lentz has masterfully organized all of our children's ministry supplies into probably more than a hundred carefully labeled boxes of all shapes and sizes. And even if you don't know where something goes, there is a box for that too. Boxes are helpful to us. They contain the chaos of our lives, and they help us stay neat and organized. They help us move from places to places. They help us to work quickly and effectively. I don't know what we would do without boxes. But are they always helpful? In 1945, German psychologist Karl Dunker completed an experiment And in it, he he presented participants with the following task to see if they could attach a candle to a cork board and light it. But the trick was that the candle wax couldn't drip on the table below it. Now the challenge was that they could only use a book of matches and a box of thumbtacks in addition to the candle to complete the assignment. And so participants came up with lots of different creative ideas to try to complete the task. Some tried to attach the candle to the wall using thumbtacks, but the tacks wouldn't go all the way through the candle. Others tried to melt down the wax and then use it as an adhesive to get the candle to stick against the wall, but that wouldn't work either. However, the actual solution to the puzzle required them to use the box that was containing the thumbtacks. They simply had to empty out the thumbtacks of the box and imagine it being used in another way. So the answer to the puzzle was to put the candle inside the box and then to attach the box to the wall using the thumbtacks. That way the candle was attached to the wall and the box was there to catch the wax left over from the lit candle. And it seems pretty simple when you think about it. And for some participants, it was. If, if they were presented with thumbtacks, an empty box, and a book of matches, almost all of the participants completed the task pretty easily. But if they were presented with a box that was already filled with thumbtacks, participants were over 50% less likely to solve the puzzle. The experiment was designed to measure what Dunker called functional fixedness. He hypothesized that the original function of this box to hold the tax limited people's imagination to think of any other alternative for the box. 
And so even with the box staring them straight at the face on the table in front of them, if it were already holding the thumbtacks, very few people could imagine the box being used in any other way. You see, I wonder if we become so comfortable with putting things in boxes that it's become more and more difficult to see anything outside of the boxes we put them in. And the reality is that we do this with far more than thumbtacks and household objects. We do it with ideas. We do it with people, too, don't we? I mean, just take a look around any school cafeteria and you will see the boxes that we have put people in based on our different social groups. But the reality is that adults are no better at this than students. We put people in boxes based on what we wear, what teams we cheer for, the color of our skin, where we live, what we believe, who we voted for. And you fill in all the other blanks. Over time, it starts to become difficult to imagine anyone or anything being outside of the box that we've put them in. And I can't help but wonder if you and I approach God in the same way, with a, a functional fixedness based on our ideas of who God is and how God works in the world. When we put God in a box, so to say, then we can't imagine that God might work in any other way beyond what you and I can grasp or imagine or conceptualize on our own. And if we feel stuck in a box, can we imagine that God could get us out of that? But Scripture teaches us, I'm finding over and over again, that God can't be kept in a box that our God is so much bigger than the boxes we put God in. Scripture, for that matter, also can't be kept in a box. It's why we can return to the same text or the same story over and over again, and yet God has a fresh new word to say to us each and every time. So one of the most obvious places in Scripture that we see people putting God in a box is when the people of Israel literally construct a box to put God in when they build the tabernacle in today's text in the book of Exodus. Now within this tabernacle, the people construct the Ark of the Covenant, which is for all intents and purposes a very fancy box. We read in Exodus 25 that it is two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high, and then it's overlaid with pure gold on the inside and outside. I don't know that the paint we gave Alice was quite as fancy for our boxes in worship today. Now, there are lots more specific instructions, but listen carefully to what we read in verse 21. It says, You shall put the mercy seat, or the cover, on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the covenant that I will give to you. There I will meet you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant. I will deliver to you all my commands for the Israelites. Now, I don't know about you all, but whenever I come to a text in the Bible with very specific instructions for things, like the construction of the temple or the instructions for building the Ark, they're kind of boring. And so I usually tend to gloss over them in my Bible reading. I would imagine that many of us do. But this week forced me to slow down, to pay attention, like we've talked about here at Calvary. And when I did, I became pretty fascinated by two things in today's text that I would have completely overlooked otherwise. One is that God actually instructs the people to make a box. <laughs> God knows that, that we as humans sometimes need boxes to make sense of life. We need a particular place to put things. We need a tangible experience of a completely intangible God. And this is especially true for Israelites who have no tangible place to call home. They need an experience of God that they can touch that they can see, that they can hang on to when they have lost just about everything else. And so, yes, God helps them build a box to remind them that God is traveling with them from place to place. God is with them wherever they go. 
One of the scholars I read said that the Ark of the Covenant is like a mobile home for God. And wherever the Israelites go on their roundabout road trip through the wilderness, their mobile God home goes with them. God sees their need. God knows their need. And God responds to their need in a tangible, tactile way. It's a beautiful reminder of God's faithfulness to us. But the second thing I noticed is much more subtle than the first. Did you catch where God said that he would be? It it seems like a relatively minor detail, but in light of this topic, I don't think it is. God did not say that God would be down in the box. God would be outside the box. God would be just slightly above it, above the mercy seat between the cherubim. There I will meet you, says God. Because God can't be kept in a box. Our God is so much bigger than the boxes we build to put God in. Did you know that on average, boa constrictors can grow up to about 13 feet when they are in the wild? Will did not know that. Did anybody else know that? (laughs) The largest boa constrictor recorded was actually 18 feet long. (laughs) But then in North America, many people evidently have boa constrictors as pets. Does anyone in here have a boa constrictor as a pet? Because I'm really dying to know. No one in here. I have no idea why people would do this, but evidently they do. And so when these large snakes are kept in cages or in boxes... On average, they will only grow between six and eight feet long. So why would they grow so much larger in the wild than in captivity? Because they grow in proportion to their container. A boa constrictor in the wild has no limitations. It has no reason to be kept small. But when this wild animal becomes a household pet, its growth is stunted based on the size of the box it lives in. So it never grows to its full potential. Friends, can you imagine what might happen if we were to take God out of the boxes we put God in? If we, like the Israelites, could begin to see God right above the mercy seat, right above the boxes we have constructed for God. Imagine how God might grow beyond our expectations, beyond all that we could ever dare to ask or imagine as we read about in Ephesians. Can you think about a time or a way this has happened in your life? In other words, a a time when you realize that God is just so much bigger than you realized. A time when from your view, your experience, or your relationship with God changed or grew or transformed from what it had been before. I asked this question in our staff meeting this week, and we'll be asking it together in our small groups this week too. And I loved hearing the variety of answers. One person shared about encountering God through the kindness of a complete stranger at a particularly difficult time in life. Another at a Bruce Springsteen concert where everyone sang together in complete unity. Another about experiencing the presence of God in such a profound way on the back porch at Common Grounds, and she's never been the same since. How have you experienced God in a completely outside the box kind of way? And have you been the same? ever since. The best story I heard related to this was on a podcast this week in a conversation between Christian writers Beth Moore and Jonathan Merritt. Beth was telling a story to Jonathan about the weeks after 9-11, and she had been asked to travel to New York City to help minister to some of the first responders who had experienced such trauma and devastation in the days after the World Trade Center fell. She said, I was at the airport in Houston, and when I tell you that the crowd was scarce at the gate for the New York City flight, I'm not kidding. It was like a ghost town. There were maybe 20 people who were getting on that flight. She said, I like to think I'm hard to scare. I'm pretty hardy. But after 9-11, 
They were constantly repeating the same message over the PA system that if you see any suspicious person or object, report them immediately. And so there I was with about 20 other people and all of a sudden we started looking each other up one side and down the other. She said, but I have to tell you something awful about myself in order to tell the story. I saw two gentlemen with dark brown skin. I didn't understand what language they were speaking. I didn't know what country they were from. And I immediately became suspicious. And so we got on the plane. There were only 20 of us, remember. And would you know that I was seated right next to these two men? We were seated up near where the pilot was. And I started thinking about everything that had happened. And my mind just went nuts. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to get out my Bible. And if I die on this plane today, at least I will have my Bible. So I got out my Bible. And when I did... The guy beside me literally jumped out of his seat and started screaming at me. She said, it scared me so bad that I jumped out of my seat and hit my head on top of the plane. My heart was pounding out of my chest. But then she said, I began to understand what he was shouting. He was screaming, you and me, we are brothers. And she said, I almost can't tell the story without crying because this man was my brother in Christ. And I was so afraid of this man. I was asking myself, who was he? What religion is he? Where is he from? She said, this happened years ago and the hairs are still standing straight up on my arms. I've never forgotten that moment. It was one of the precious moments of my life because I experienced God in such a profound way in that moment. I grabbed his wrist and he grabbed my hand. We couldn't even speak much to each other, but we would just nod and smile at each other throughout the entire flight. He was my brother. Friends, God is so much bigger than our fears. God is so much bigger than our stereotypes. God is so much bigger than our failures. God is bigger than any box you and I can even think to put God in which means that a life of following God is so much bigger than we might imagine it to be too. And so for the next five weeks, we will be exploring together in worship what it looks like for us to be a church who lives our faith outside the box. But I want to note that I don't think this will be easy. Someone at the Baylor game yesterday asked me what my sermon was about today, and I told them, and they said, oh, that's cute, which I thought was a very strange response. And I don't think this is cute at all. I think it can be quite scary to take things out of the box sometimes. Imagine if I were to hand you a box and you could hear something moving around inside. Maybe you could hear something rattling or hissing. Would you want to open that up? Or what if there were a suspicious box outside of the door of your house and I asked you to open that up? What would you do then? What if it were a box filled with memories that you would much rather be sealed shut in a box and never imagined again? And I would think that many of us have a couple boxes like that. It can be so much easier to keep things in the box sometimes. The risks of opening up Pandora's box can seem far too great. And yet, we follow a God who is always breaking down boundaries, barriers, and boxes. From the very beginning, God broke out the box at creation, breathing life into the dirt to create a human being. God delivered the Israelites by breaking them out of the box of slavery, breaking through the waters of the Red Sea, and even breaking open rocks in the wilderness to form water for them. When the angel Gabriel visited Mary and told her that she would give birth to a baby, she said, how can this be? And God broke out of that box too. About everything in Jesus' life was outside the box. The company he kept the boundaries he crossed, the radical love that he shared. You've heard it said one way, he would say, but I'm breaking down that box too. I'm coming to bring a completely new, outside the 
box way that leads to life everlasting. And even when Jesus was crucified and buried in a tomb, he couldn't be kept there for very long either. He broke out of that box just three days later. And so maybe this fall we can begin to break down some of those boxes that are just taking up space in our garage. Maybe we can be brave enough to open them up and to take a look at what's inside. And together, maybe we can begin to imagine what it looks like to be a church who lives out our faith outside the box. And so, God, I ask that you would open up minds and hearts in this space. Help us to be open to experiencing you in new ways, in unexpected places, in things that are just unimaginable to us right now. God, convict us of the boxes we have built without even realizing it, the ways that we've been boxed in, the boxes that we've put other people in. God, if we feel trapped in a box in some way today, I ask that you would show us that glimmer of light. Help us to know that we are not alone, that you meet us in these spaces. Just as you met the Israelites in the wilderness, you meet us here. God, give us courage, give us faith, give us hope to follow in whatever outside-the-box way you may lead us. We ask these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, you have heard today that God is always working outside the boxes that we put God in. And maybe today is the day that you want to take a leap of faith to step out of your box and to begin to follow God and to walk in the way of Jesus. Or maybe you want to join our community of faith here at Calvary, where we seek to know and to follow Jesus together in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. And so however God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary, ready to receive you and to pray with you as we continue in worship.
think about it, there's not much that could be more out of the box than observing the Lord's Supper. Maybe it seems completely normal for church-going people, but for newcomers to the church, this observance is filled with strangeness and mystery. Even to the disciples who observed this meal with Christ himself, when Christ was the presider, it was unusual and often misunderstood. Furthermore, at Calvary, we celebrate this ordinance every three weeks, while most Baptists might observe it every quarter or even less frequently. We also serve the meal differently than other churches. Instead of passing around small individual cups and a tray with broken crackers, we dip the bread into the juice and receive a blessing, a bit out of the box for some, to be sure. Yet the point of this meal is not out of the box. It is an observance through which Christ meets us and changes us. It is a practice that will follow us to heaven at a time where Christ will serve us himself. It is a communal act of remembering what Christ has done and looking forward to the great celebration of what Christ will do. Friends, whether this is awkward or familiar, well-worn or newly imagined, this meal is for you and Christ promises to meet you here. You don't need to be a member to participate in the meal. If you've professed your faith in Christ, then the invitation is to the table for you as well. Uh, there are several locations around the room, a gluten-free station in the back even. Or if you'd like to sit and pray for a moment before you come, don't feel like anyone's directing you to come up right away. Children, if, you've made a profession of, if you haven't made a profession of faith yet, uh, come to the platform and you can receive a blessing. And also, if you'd like to receive communion at your seat, just lift your hand and a deacon will assist you. So today we come to this table again to know Christ in this meal and to remember again how on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and when he had broken, he, he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, is the this, is the, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For often, as you drink, for often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, let us now come to the table. As I was walking to receive communion, I noticed all the cool things that our children have made during worship today. They've made boxes and towers and Lego. Will you all hold up some of the things that you've made? I just want people to see them. It's awesome. I love, I mean, it goes right along with what we're talking about. And I want to celebrate that our children are engaged and paying attention with what God is doing outside the box. <laughs> Well, if you are new here at Calvary, we are especially glad that you're here today. I've noticed quite a few visitors, and we just want you to know you're welcome here. And we hope that you'll stick around after worship today and give us a moment to greet you. Also, as is our tradition when we receive the Lord's Supper, we also take up the Samaritan's Fund offering. And this offering goes toward emergent needs um, in our community and in our congregation. And I can tell you that it is used often and well. Um, Alice Fry, our new social work intern, is doing a tremendous 
tremendous job and working alongside the Samaritans Fund team, and we appreciate your generous giving to that fund. Also, if you like to sing, we hope that you might join our intergenerational choir today. They are starting to rehearse Christmas music this afternoon, if you can believe it. So if you would like to join them in learning Christmas music for December, I know they would love to have you after worship today. And then remember that our small groups are beginning this week to go along with our Outside the Box series. We have eight different groups to choose from, three on Sundays and one every other night of the week through Thursdays. And I really hope you'll join a group where you don't know many people. Get to know new people in this place. Force yourself to get outside of your own comfort zone and outside of your own box and meet new people at Calvary. You can sign up in the hallway or in the online link that's in the tower and in your worship folder. Well, please receive this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the Spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. Stop.